You know, there's a story of um, two missionaries who left North America and went off to West Africa and spent three years there. And then when they came back to their hometown and they got resettled, the wife said to her husband, I want you to go to the market and get these groceries and make sure you get the cheese. We need cheese. He went to the market with his basket and his list and he walked and he stood in front of the cheese and he stood there and he looked. There's a huge variety of cheese. It's overwhelming. Where he came from, there was two types of cheese. And here his wife asked to buy cheese. Didn't tell him what type. So he went home and his wife said, why didn't you buy the cheese? He said, I couldn't decide. There was just too much variety. You know, sometimes in our world, there's just too much choice. There's too many things that are overwhelming, everyone vying for our attention, things that we have to decide on. You know, in your family, who makes the decisions? Who really makes the decisions? You may think you do. Perhaps it's uh, your spouse. You know, most choices we face in life are simple and safe. What shall I wear to work? What shall I buy for groceries? But other decisions can be life-changing. Who should I marry? Should I accept this employment? Should I move to this new city? Should I buy this house? Should we have children? Those are tough decisions. But it's not just about making a decision. It's making the right decision. And we have many ways of making decisions in life. Flipping a coin can be used to make a decision. And it's perfectly fine over what movie to see or who should do the dishes. But if we don't like the result, we can flip it again, right? Best two out of three, best four to seven. Flipping a coin isn't really deciding. It's basically letting random chance make a decision for you. And few of us would choose a method of flipping a coin to decide if we should take out a mortgage or buy a car. Well, maybe you've done that. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong after the service. But I think most people wouldn't make big decisions on the flip of a coin. The bigger life's decisions, the more difficult it is to make the choice. And in reality, some of us actually don't like making decisions because of the responsibility. What if you make the wrong choice? What if you decide wrong? So we can be tempted to procrastinate and avoid making choices. Often we seek guidance from friends and family, asking for their advice and counsel. We can do all the research required, investigate all the aspects, Google everything we can, all in an effort to make the wisest choice. And these are valuable and sound ways to think through decisions. But as followers of Christ, our ultimate desire is to seek God's will and pleasure. So there's no point in saying, you know, Lord, should I... Should I forgive this person? Let me roll the dice. Oh, forgiveness came up. I'm going to forgive that person. You know, most of us have come to places in our lives, if you haven't been there, you will be, where you're asking, what is the will of God? What is God's will for me? What do you want me to do, Jesus? Today, you could be asking that question. You could be sitting here thinking, you know, I've been wrestling with something and I'm not sure what to do. I want to follow God's direction But how do I know? Well, before we examine this question, I want us to visit two important items that I think will help us understand the context of how God leads us. Now, there are, when we discuss God's will, there are are kind of three broad aspects. And we have to know what we're asking when we're asking about God's will. The first aspect of his will is his sovereign plan, his eternal desires. We cannot know these. These are things that God has set for himself. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking, uh, how would you explain quantum physics to a two-year-old? You can't explain it to a 53-year-old, let alone a two-year-old. If God was to explain to us his eternal plans, we just wouldn't understand They're so far above us, we could not grasp it. 
And in Isaiah 14.24, it says, The Lord Almighty has sworn, Surely as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. You know that that has nothing to do with us. God decides what he wants to decide. He sets his plan in sovereignty and in power. And it doesn't belong to our world of understanding. Even that familiar passage in Romans 8, 29 8, to 30, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. In God's sovereign plan, you are included. You are part of his sovereign plan because you know him. It was his plan before the foundation of the world to call you here, to give you faith, to cause you to believe. I don't understand. I'll never understand how it all works. I'm not supposed to understand. That's why he's God. Even more than that, we know that the very plan of God for Christ to come and save us was predetermined in Acts 2, 22-23. When Peter is preaching, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man credited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. This was God's plan. This was his will. And this is what we call God's sovereign will. It has always been his plan to redeem each one of us through Christ's death and resurrection. That's been his plan and his sovereign will. That's one aspect of God's will. A second is God's will of desire. And this is an interesting one because it is not always fulfilled. God's will of desire is consistent with his sovereign will, but for various reasons, what he desires, which we can understand, does not come to pass. Christ desires all to come to him, but they do not. He said in Matthew 8, 28 to 29, Come to me, all you, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not everyone believes. God desires that all men be saved, but not all will be saved. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants us to be obedient to him, but there are times when we're not, because God does not force us to conform to his will. God desires people to obey his will, but we're still responsible to follow and align our wills with his. The third aspect is where we begin to connect with God. It's God's commanded will. This is a place where we're asking, what is your will for me, Lord? God's commanded will is part of his desires, of his desired will, but these are revealed to us. God's commands are revealed in scriptures and by the Spirit. And we can know God's commanded will because Scripture tells us that we can. In Colossians 1.9, Paul said, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. To be filled is to be like a cup of water, filled up with his will, to know it in our hearts. That's what we're able to understand. So this may help to try and put it a little bit better into context. And there's a reason why I'm telling you all this, and we'll get to that in a minute. The big square is God's sovereign will. It's largely unhidden. I mean, it's largely hidden. We cannot discern it. It's a sovereign will. This isn't the place where we ask God, what is your will? Because we don't understand it. God's moral will is revealed in Scripture. This is what he commands us to do. And that little circle at the bottom includes us as we seek God's guidance. And there's also a little part at the bottom 
where it says personal individual will of free choice. I, I don't think it really matters to God what, what shoe you put on first in the morning or what side of the toast you butter. Those are things that God allows you to choose. There's no right or wrong. But when it comes to his moral will, following his commands, that does matter. And that's what we're seeking when we talk about this, the discipline of guidance, of learning how to be guided by God. The desire and need for guidance is a constant feature of human life, seen in the Bible. And this leads us to our second element of introduction this morning, and that is how God has guided people in the past. And one aspect, the way he guided, was casting of lots. I'm not talking about uh, him giving the scripture. I'm talking about specific guidance, requests that the scripture does not does not tell us the answer. You know, what career should I choose? Where should I live? The Bible doesn't tell me that necessarily. I can't go to, you know, chapter and verse and go, you should live in this city for this amount of time. These are areas that God has a will for, but he chooses to reveal it in different ways. We know in the Old Testament that God gave the, Israel, the Israelites a thing called the Urim and Thummim, basically two lots, two dice, that sat over the breastplate of the ephod that the high priest had. Also put the Urim and the Thummim in the, pres- in the breast piece so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. So for some reason at that time, God provided lots that they would cast and see what God wanted. You know, even unbelievers cast lots. If you remember the story of Jonah, when the ship was in the storm and sinking, what did the unbelieving soldiers do? They flipped the coin to see who was going to die. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. That was God's will. Jonah was the one who was the reason for the problem. And these were unbelievers. Unbelievers even stood before the cross of Christ and cast lots. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. As Jesus, our Savior, hung and died on the cross, these soldiers threw some dice to see who would get his robe. That was the way they were going to decide because they couldn't decide amongst themselves. And even in the book of Acts, the apostles gathered and decided who would take Judas's place among the twelve. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. And so he was added to 11 disciples. As far as I can tell, this is the last time lots are cast the last time that God had them cast lots to make a decision. What happened between Acts 1 and in Acts 2? God's spirit came. There's a better way to make decisions. And in fact, it's a way that's also throughout the Old Testament. It's hearing God's voice. You know, the prophet Samuel heard God's voice when he chose the kings of Israel, both Saul and David. In 1 Samuel 16, just just the first four verses, the Lord said to Samuel, he said, he didn't say cast dice, he said to him, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be your king. He didn't say which son. He just said, go and obey me, and I will show you what to do. So we see that the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament, was given temporarily to prophets and kings. And he 
put in their hearts and minds the decisions that they would need to make so they wouldn't have to cast lots and dice. It comes through relationship. Guidance, for our purposes, is a process of aligning your will with God's will. So many times we, we, we come and we say in, in, in a seeking guidance, God, what do you want me to do? Tell me what to do. And God is saying, I want you to want what I want. That's my will. So it's a process of aligning our will with God's will as he reveals his desires to us through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through our obedience, the counsel of godly and mature believers, and through providence, through his divine leadership. And the discipline of that is really the practice. And this takes practice. It takes time to allow God to harmonize your will with his will and revolves around learning to distinguish between his voice and the voices of others, including your own. This is why this whole series on devotion, you know, praying, fasting, solitude, simplicity, submission, service, giving, and in the coming weeks, confession, worship, and celebration are all interlinked together as a lifestyle and through which you hear God's voice and you hear his direction. At times, we seek special guidance. At the times, God simply steps into our lives and leads us without us even realizing it. You know, you can look back on your life. I can look back in my life and I can say, okay, that makes sense now. At the time, I didn't know what God was doing. When I prayed for this, I didn't know what I was asking for. And I watch him lead and direct. And as I look back with hindsight, oh, that makes sense now. I see what he was doing. Well, God has hindsight in front of us as well. He knows where we're going and what we're doing, what we should be doing. And I like this quote from a missionary who was in Bangladesh and it was first starting as a country, Viggo Olsen. The fact that God, the creator of this immense universe, cares about each of us and wants to guide us along life's pathway is one of the most inspiring ideas that the human mind can contemplate. And we're talking about guidance, the discipline of guidance, of putting ourselves in places where God can guide us. That takes effort. That takes time. And as we do, it becomes easier because we're accustomed to hearing God's voice. You know, not only does God make it possible to know him through Christ, but his desire is to be involved in your life. Not just to start you off, get you going, but to be involved in every step in your life, every moment. Why? Because you're in relationship to him, because he loves you, because he draws you, he places in your hearts the desire and longing to worship and love him, and he provides guidance and direction so that we can live before him in the way that pleases him, you know, we are talking about this this morning in our, in our Sunday school class, that uh, whatever God wants is the best. We may not understand that. We may not even realize that. But he never wants less than the best for you. And that can mean suffering sometimes because it brings about the best. Because God loves us. To be guided by God is to walk with him, to be directed by Jesus to follow his leading. To be in the center of his will is to be filled with his Holy Spirit and to be moved to obedience. So now we're going to move from these two items of what God's will is, what we're asking for, where God's will is that we're seeking, and how he leads us through his spirit to look at these two passages in Proverbs and in Acts. In Proverbs, we're going to look at a, a simple pattern that God has laid out for us to be in allowing ourselves to be in that place where he can lead us. And the second passage is really an application of that. Nice to see how it actually works out. So we come to how God leads us individually. And so we're looking at how does God prepare you to receive his guidance? And then what is our responsibility for him leading us? So individual guidance in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
You know, the very first and most important decision in life, if you're seeking guidance, is to know him. Guidance comes only through knowing God through Jesus Christ. Because God created you for a love relationship with him, and he wants you to love him with all your being. And that's not my words. That comes from Blackaby's book on experiencing God. And if this is a a topic of interest to you for study, this is the book to go to, Experiencing God. It's an excellent resource to help you begin to work through this whole process of learning how to hear God's voice. But you could be in a situation where you're at the very beginning. I want to know what to do with my life. And it begins by knowing God. Every single person has fallen short of God's glory and has sinned against him. Eternal life is only a gift from God. We cannot earn it. We may will it. Immortality may be a desire for some, but it is only a gift from God. We cannot achieve it ourselves. And because of Jesus... Because his love for us, he went to the cross. Last night I was watching part of uh, the Mel Gibson movie on the crucifixion of Christ. And uh, I only got so far and had to stop because it's really extremely powerful to see how much our, our Lord and Savior suffered for us. It's unbelievable. Yet it's something that he has done because he loves us. In response, we confess Jesus as our Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. And we asked him to come and to save us. And then to do what? To make us like him. To put his will in us. So that we can know him. This is the very basic prerequisite of knowing God's will. Is knowing him. That's where it all begins. Of course, in this verse, trust Lord, with all your heart. Trust is, is confidence. It's a, it's a place where you're at. I can trust this person. He's never let me down. Experience has borne the consistent trustworthiness of God. When the text says, with all our heart, the psalmist is really saying, with all your life, with everything that you are. You know how hard that is to do? You know, when you need to make a decision... How far are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to trust God even to the point where you erase your preferences? Where you can accept his will without any kind of agenda from yourself? You know, I've, I've had to do that in different situations where I had to wrestle with, you know, God, what's your will, but I favor this. And God says, no, no, we can't talk yet. You have to Separate yourself from the decision so that it's truly my decision for you. That's why this is a discipline. That's why it's a process where we're learning how to trust, how to know him. And our trust is demonstrated through our leaning on him, our dependence on him, our seeking him. Trust alone with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. To rely upon is to place your weight on something for support. I'm, I'm placing my weight on this for support. I'm trusting this is going to hold me up. If it didn't, I would be on the floor and it would be a good joke. But I trust this is going to hold me up, so I'm relying on it to hold me up. God commands us not to lean or rely on ourselves. If you're seeking his will, you can't rely on your own intellectual abilities to figure it out. It's not depending on ourselves to the exclusion or in place of reliance upon God. What the text is not saying is don't think, don't use your reason. What it is saying is don't depend upon it. Don't rely on it. God is not saying, you know, okay, empty your mind, don't think, just whatever comes that I put there, do. That can happen, but he wants us to use our minds because the Holy Spirit talks to our minds. But our best efforts to co- compare to God are inadequate, insufficient, infallible. In short, we make mistakes in our thinking because we're sinners. You know, how many times, maybe you've been embarrassed by this, uh, somebody gets a hold of your old school annual or old pictures of yourself, and they go through and they say, oh, 
I like that hairstyle. And you think, what was I thinking? Why did I wear those clothes? I know it was the style, but now it looks so funny. But we were lying on our thinking at that time. And sometimes when we look back, we wonder, why did I do that? It made perfect logical sense to take that step. But it was the wrong step. If we depend on our own ideas and wisdom, it can lead to a sort of arrogance. A subtle belief that we really don't need God's direction or wisdom. And this is how it plays out. God, what is your will for my life? And God leads you to some ideas. And you treat it as a suggestion, as his advice, that you can evaluate. Should I follow this or not? I think God is leading me here, and uh, in fact, I know he is, but I'm not sure. It's just just a suggestion. I'm going to use my reason to analyze it. No, trusting and leaning is about learning how to submit before God, how to surrender ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Trusting in him means ultimately relying on him. And as I said, there are times where I have thought, this is what God wants me to do, but it wasn't. You know, my first exposure to, to missions was in Mexico. And then it was going possibly to Brazil. And so I prayed and I thought, the Lord is leading me to Brazil for a, for a summer. So I got accepted I tried to raise support. didn't work. For the longest time, I couldn't figure out, Lord, I really thought that you wanted me to go there. But it wasn't your will. I don't understand what you were doing. And he told me, years later, I was talking to somebody else that came out of my mind, I don't tell you the why, I just tell you the what. You don't need to know my reasons because I have reasons you couldn't understand. Because it wasn't just about you, it was the people in your life. Because when I went to Thailand a year later, and it was no problem. It was clear sailing. You know, it wasn't just about me going into missions. It was about all the people I knew who were reluctant to get involved in support or prayer. It was part of their following God's will as well. When you step in and you're praying for God's will, you're praying for God's will for other people in your life as well. Because sometimes their will has to be changed for God's will to be realized. And it's not just about individuals or about us. The second thing, or the third thing actually, is basically submitting. We trust, we lean, and we submit. We surrender ourselves, we wait and we listen. We accept and we yield. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, yield to him as the superior authority over your life. And our submission to God is demonstrated as we lay before him everything. And this is, this is difficult. I mean, how far can you trust God? All of us hold something back because we're fearful. And submission means asking, waiting, and listening. You know, would you find it weird if you walked into a restaurant, sat down, and the waiter came over and said, here's your food? What would you do? Um, I didn't ask for that. I didn't order this. Must be a mistake. Oh, no, no, no. No, the waiter says, uh, I, I, I know what your will is. And I, I brought you, you're supposed to eat this now, today. Sometimes we come to God and we do that. We say, God, this is what I want. And God says, uh, no, you, you don't. You haven't thought about it yet. You haven't prayed through what you're asking. Even Jesus said it to the disciples when I preached two weeks ago, and they wanted to become uh, leaders, sitting on thrones beside Jesus. And Jesus said, you don't, you don't know what you're asking for. You have no idea what you're asking. And it takes time to sort that through. The last aspect is we follow, we obey. And he will make your path straight. How does God make our path straight? How does he set the path before us? If you're leading somebody and they're not following you, they're not there anymore, they're not following the path you've laid out, then how can they be led unless they follow? 
Trusting, leaning, and submitting ourselves means to follow him. It really means to obey him. And it's at one step at a time. When God told Samuel, stop mourning over Saul. I have a new king to anoint. Go and anoint who I show you, the son of of Jesse of Bethlehem. He didn't tell him which son. Take this first step. Fill your horn with oil and go and be prepared for the next step that I will show you. God's guidance many times is only the next step. Not two steps, but the next step. And that can be hard for us because we want to control. We want security. I want to know where I'm going to go. But uh, it doesn't work that way. He does this one step at a time. The daily practice of these four elements, trusting, leaning, submitting, and following, is the discipline of guidance. Doing this. Daily sitting before God saying, God, I trust you. I'm depending on you today. I'm submitting before you for your will. Whatever that may be. And then whatever you show, whatever you bring to me, I will walk in that. Now I've been talking about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as a process in which God reveals his will to us. But God also leads us in community as a church, as a group of believers. We do not live separate lives. We're all interconnected. And as we apply the lessons from Proverbs as a community, as a church, God will direct us as a body of believers. We often think of, of God's will as a personal, individual thing, but it's also a corporate guidance that he gives us as it brings honor and glory to him. This is where we come to the book of Acts as an application for today. Let's look and see how the early church practiced trusting, leaning, submitting, and following. We know that Jesus gave us a tremendous promise in Matthew 18, 19 and 20, where he told his disciples, again, truly I tell you that if two of you are on earth, agree on anything about anything they ask for, it will be done for them, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. As we gather this morning, where is Jesus? He's here. He's in our midst. Do we really think about that? I come to church, and with other believers, we're worshiping, we're fellowshipping. Jesus is in our midst. It should help shape our, our thinking about what it means to come and to worship him. It's a powerful promise. So when we gather in faith and in trust, Jesus promises to be present and promises to answer us as we pray. So in Acts 1, we see in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan, Saul, and Barnabas. Five leaders gathered And in their midst, there was Jesus. And what did they do when they gathered? They leaned on him while they were worshiping and fasting to the Lord. That's what they came to do. They came to seek the Lord. They came ready to receive whatever he had. The text does not tell us if they asked for a question. It doesn't tell us they came to the Lord seeking his will about such and such. It just says they came to the Lord to worship and to seek him. You know, there are many times in my life where I've been sitting in the pew and listening to a message or praising and an idea comes to my mind that God says, here's something I want you to do. I'm not even looking for his guidance. I'm just looking for him. And he chooses at that moment to pop an idea. Now, he may do that for you. You could be sitting here thinking, you know, I've always had this idea about a ministry at Snowden. I've always had this idea about... uh, what I should say to a colleague at work. And he brings it to mind as a means to stir you as he wants to lead and guide us. And I'll say it again. You know, our Sunday evening of worship times are amazing. As people come here on Sunday evenings, and I invite you to come tonight, uh, we just sing. There's a few testimonies, but we just worship. That's the only agenda is to come and to worship God, to seek him, to lean on him. You know, if you have a question about, God, what should I be doing, the place to begin is worship. If you have the time, inclination, 
come come tonight. It's uh, it's something that I, that I actually I missed last Sunday evening. We had the AGM. We needed to do that. And I said to Pastor Jordan, you know, I really miss the worship time because it's become part of me. To be able to start a week in the presence of God, worshiping him and seeking him just for the delight and pleasure of doing that. Because seeking the guidance means seeking him, seeking what he desires. And so we know that as they met and worshipped and fasted, the Lord met them. The Lord revealed to their minds their next step. For it says, while they were, while, while they were worshipping and fasting, while this was going on, in the midst of their worship and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That's what happened. Now, how do you think that would happen? How, how could that possibly happen? Did they actually hear the Spirit's voice in their minds? Well, it may have been in this way. Have you ever been praying with a group of people and you're waiting for your turn to pray? And one of the people prays for exactly what the Lord gave you to, to pray for? As you're praying about stuff that's on the list, it's just something that pops into your mind, you should pray for, and the person next to you prays for the same thing? How could you both know the same thing at the same time? That's when God is stepping into your prayers as a group of community. As these men gather to pray, I don't know for sure, but I suspect, the Holy Spirit gave a nudge and said, it's time. I want these two men to move into a new work. And so they had consensus amongst themselves. You know, imagine taking from Snowden the two most important leaders and sending them out. God speaks to you and says, these two guys, these two ladies, are going to be sent out to a new work. That's what was happening. So trusting, leaning, and submitting leads, of course, to the application of following. The idea of corporate obedience. I think we're actually to the next slide now. And so what did they do after they had this sense that the Holy Spirit was saying, separate Barnabas and Saul for their work? What did they do? Verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They sought confirmation by continuing to worship. Then they acted in obedience. The Holy Spirit didn't say where they're going to go, just released them. And so they did. They set them apart and let them go. And at this point, there's no indication of where they were supposed to go. We know in verse 4 that it was a step-by-step direction. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus and began Paul's first missionary trip to plant a church in Cyprus. That was God's will. That was his timing. Now, they may have been as a church seeking, Lord, what is next for us as a church? And this was the step. Plant a church. So this one of guidance is the committed practice of trusting God, leaning on him, submitting your way to him, and following in obedience as he reveals each step. Because God's will is not discovered, it's revealed. He reveals his will. As we love him and seek him, he reveals what he wants us to do. But the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He's the one who shapes your heart. He aligns your desires to his own desires. Now I know after for 40 minutes of hearing my voice, you get a little tired, you know. Oh, he's still talking. So we're doing something different this morning for part of our application. We haven't yet done this. We haven't yet formally welcomed Kathleen Lashley back from Brazil. Some of you don't even know who she is because you arrived here after uh, or when she had left. So I want to invite Kathleen to come up. And I asked her to, um, to give a, a short testimony on how God guided her. How did you know you were supposed to leave and go to the mission field? 
I've even, at your help, made a nice picture for you so people know who you are. Well, bon dia, igreja. It's good morning, church. Warm greetings from my colleagues in Brazil. And they send their thank you for your support and your prayers and financial support um, in the ministry that I've been so privileged to be serving in in Brazil. And just hearing what Charles has been saying for the last uh, half an hour, 40 minutes, it's really hard to kind of condense exactly how did I get to Brazil. Many of you do know me, and I've been coming to this church all my life. But uh, how the journey kind of more specifically started leading that way, it's been a process of really perhaps just over 20 years. And like we've been hearing, I, I too had the question, what does God want me to do with my life? I was studying at Vanier College. I was studying nursing, and that did not work out. And I found myself kind of, I don't know what to do with my life. I wasn't in school. And in our house, you can't just do nothing. So <laughs> I was looking for a job, and I was volunteering at the Pregnancy Counseling Center. And a lady who also was volunteering there as well just said, you know, have you considered going to Bible school? And I really never had. And so then part of, I think, understanding how God leads, we have to be moving at the same time. So even though someone may have suggested, oh, how about going to Bible school, I had to do my part. So at that time, I wrote a letter. <laughs> we don't really write letters much today to different Bible schools and just to get information about what was happening. And through that process as well, I could see how even God was leading a couple of months later, I did not know, there was a traveling team from Heritage Baptist College that came to Snowden on a Wednesday night, and they had a, a, praise, a praise night, presented to the school. The next day, I was having lunch with the team, the president of the school, at that time, Pastor Ken, and next thing you know, a year later, I was going to Heritage Baptist College in Cambridge, Ontario. But going there as well, I also thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go for a year, study the Bible. And it was through that time where, when I was at school, I got to hear a lot more about missions. They have a lot of mission representatives that come to the school. So I got to know them, different organizations. And through that time, it was suggested, oh, you want a, want a missions trip? And I thought, yeah, sure, why not? Honestly, it was nothing where I thought, I was eight years old, and I thought, oh, I want to do missions. This is exactly what I want to do. It really was not even on my radar, and so I just continued just taking steps. And I decided to take some time off from school and go on a missions trip for two and a half months to Haiti. And it was actually there when I was in Haiti, and I was uh, helping out in a school for street kids that the Lord really pressed it on my heart. Oh, I want to do this. I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I remember... I was in Haiti, and it was really hot. I was lying in my bed. The ceiling fan was above me, and I was just like, oh, I want to do this the rest of my life, you know? And, and I thought I wanted to do this. I wanted to be in Haiti. And for many, many years, that's what I, I remember sharing with the congregation and other people, that I'm going back to Haiti. And through different circumstances, that did not work out. And I was back at Bible college and in and out working, and it was a very slow process. Things didn't happen right away, but kept moving. Finished my studies, kept in contact with the mission organization. Uh, different individuals continued encouraging me to do missions because throughout the time as well, there's times of doubt and thinking, maybe I made the wrong decision, I don't know. But the Lord would bring people along or I would hear a message or I would read a book and he would just continue to guide me keep on this path, keep on this path. So after I finished Bible school, and like any studies that you're doing, a lot of times you have to take out a student loan. So I came up with a debt, and I thought, well, I can't go to the mission field with all the student loans. So the Lord provided a job through different connections, and I ended up working at a daycare center. And I spent my time there, paid off my student loans, and then it was like, okay, let's go to the field. And I still didn't know specifically where I was to go. And just through different connections with people, and I tried different fields, went to Ecuador, 
thought about going to Mexico. I just always kept it open. And the Lord just kept showing and leading. Just, just wait. Just wait. And I just kept on the path. And then it was just suggested by someone in uh, the mission I'm with, Crossworld, that why not check out Brazil? And it's a long story, but um, when I have more time or when I can meet with some of you, uh, Brazil actually was the first country that was presented to me many years ago about going to see if, you know, you would want to do missions. And so many years later, maybe 10 years later, it came back again to going to see Brazil. So I believe it was in 2006. I went to Brazil just for two weeks. And once again, I had the same uh, feeling in my heart that I want to do this the rest of my life. And uh, even when I was in Haiti, I remember like the prophet Isaiah saying, here I am, Lord, send me. And it's having, I believe, a willing heart and just being able to, to trust even in the uncertainties. And, and I remember when I was getting closer to the time to go, and then you have to raise support. And for those of you that are, I mean, as a church, you support and individuals <clears throat> are supporting other missionaries. It's a daunting task. Many people say, well, I don't want to be a missionary because I don't want to have to raise support. I don't want to have to ask for money. And um, there are many books about it. And in our mission, uh, they send us to a seminar. And I went to a seminar on fundraising. And one of the challenges that they gave was... Um, if, you're going to, if you really want to get to the field sooner than later, why not quit your job and start raising support full-time, like really going out there, meeting with individuals, talking to churches. And that was a really big challenge, and that was something that leaned not on your own understanding, didn't make sense. I had a job. I needed a job until I left. That was always my mentality. And then I was actually challenged with this, and it was pressed on my heart. Perhaps that is what I need to do. And by faith and just really trusting the Lord, I quit my job after a few months and then started the process of raising support. And within a year, I was in Brazil. So there was a lot of things happening. There's a lot of details to this juicy story that you all need to hear. But this is really what God has been doing and he has been moving. It really isn't nothing I wanted to do. Like I said, I really had no idea to do missions, didn't really want to, didn't think, I didn't think about it. It's not anything I didn't like, but I didn't think it was something I was going to do. And the Lord just showed me and put it on my heart. And I know there's many messages I've heard here in this church, books I've read, people. The Lord uses a lot of different ways to guide you, but you just need to keep on that path. And the foundation to that, I really do believe, is really sticking in the word and through prayer and then he's going to just bring other avenues. You know, he tells us that we are his sheep. So if we were his sheep, you got to know the voice of the shepherd. So like Charles has been saying this morning, you got to get to know God. So if you want to know what he wants for you, get to know him first. And then things, other things will, will follow. So in a journey of maybe almost 20 years, this is the result. Um, I didn't know I would be teaching preschool either. I did not go to Brazil to do that. But... The training that I received, working in the daycare, a job that I didn't think I was going to be doing, happened. And then God used those skills so that I was able to teach in the preschool. And I left the preschool, and the lady on this side, uh, Elena, she actually has taken over what I've been doing. And so she's running it. The Nationals are running the preschool, which is an answer to prayer. And once again, I'm put in the situation of, okay, Lord, what am I going to do? I don't know the specifics of when I go back what that is going to look like. I could go back to preschool, but I would really love to leave it in the hands of the nationals and just see what the Lord has in store next. So thank you once again for your prayers and support. And I really look forward to getting to know you and especially the newcomers and reconnecting with my brothers and sisters that I've known here most of my life. Thank you. Yeah, God's will is not necessarily one thing. It's a process of how he directs us. Even if you have a decision that you're trying to make, God has a process that he can lead us. So our response, how do we respond to all this personally? I have a question for you. Are you prepared 
to trust God to align your desires with his will. It's not about seeking his will in the sense of knowing it, but God to change your heart so that you want what he wants for you. That's what Kathleen was sharing in part. She moved in a direction and God began to align her heart to what he wants her to do. Seeking God's will is not about us, it's about him revealing to us what his desires are. The other question I have is, are we ready as a church to follow God wherever he chooses to lead us? It's another tough one. Because it's not just aligning your will with his, it's aligning our wills with him. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing, are we willing to, uh, to come to God and say, Lord, whatever you want is what I want. Please, Lord, change my heart in the ways that you want me to change it. Using whatever way you want to do that. That can be a short time or a long time. This is a discipline of guidance. This is learning how to follow him, to hear his voice, to allow him to harmonize your will with him. We can't do that. All we can do is be in a place where we say, Lord, you can take me and use me and shape me the way you want so that I'm living your will. I am being your servant in whatever way you want. So this one of guidance means essentially living a lifestyle where you're following and obeying Jesus. He's the one who provides you with the understanding of his will by living inside of us through his spirit. There's much more to this. This is a huge topic, but this is the place to begin. Let's pray before we have our closing song. Heavenly Father, you know all things. All of history, of time, the universe, everything is known to you in a complexity that we can't even begin to guess at. We submit ourselves to you, Lord, in you, Jesus. And we seek you, Lord. We seek to know you. And out of that, Father, we know that you guide us. Lord, if there are our people here in our midst who are, are struggling with decisions, I pray, Jesus, that as they surrender themselves to you and seek your presence, that you might reveal them to Lord, re- reveal to them, Lord, uh, the steps that you want them to take. Lord, please accept our worship in our last song, that it might be to your glory and honor as we seek to worship you. <clears throat>